millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to episode three of our podcast. Now, if you're a friend's fan, you already know that we're being cheeky with this particular <laughs> name. It actually happens to be someone's favorite series. Let's peel the secret. Is it a secret? Uh, no, I think the whole world knows at this point. <laughs> <laughs> friends happens to be Bright's favorite series. Anyway, now my name is Elizabeth Jambi. For those who are just joining us, I am the founder and CEO of Wakilisha Initiative that has brought this uh, amazing, if I may say so myself, podcast on juvenile justice. <laughs> I'm going to let Bright tell us why this is a special episode, because we also have a friend with us. Yeah, thanks, Liz. Uh, my name is Brian Bright, for those who know, tuning in for the first time, and I'm the Director of Communications at Wakilisha. And yes, I'm very excited. Today's a, today's is a very special episode. Like we already said in episode one and episode two, that we want this to be a conversation about children in conflict with the law for people who have no idea who, you know, what children in conflict with the law is and no idea about what we're talking about. So we want you guys to get to the basics of children in conflict with the law, juvenile justice system and all that. very special guest with us. Our first guest on this podcast, we are hosting Miss Mata Maina. She is an advocate of the High Court of Kenya. She runs her own legal practice and she has been a pro bono advocate for the past three years. Miss Mata is a proponent of community-based policies for effective crime prevention. And the amazing thing about what she does is that she's also writing a book. She's authoring a book which she has promised to share a copy, I think. <laughs> <laughs> she's promised she's going to share a copy with us once that uh, book is finished. And uh, we're hoping again we'll also host her for an episode once that's done. So Miss Mata, welcome. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. We're honored to have you. Yeah, we're very happy to uh, to have you on our episode today. And yeah, it's the first time I am seeing Miss Mata. We've met virtually on emails and I've hosted her on a webinar before. So it's very nice to put a face to, you know, what I've been seeing on you know, the email correspondence and all that. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, Miss Mata, today we're just going to talk about, you know, 
your life as an advocate, a pro bono um, child attorney in Kenya, and we just want to know how that is like, yeah? Lawyers have a lot of options of, you know, where to go, you know, career-wise. And I'm just wondering, of all these options, you know, why children? You know, what drove you to working with children? And, you know, for you to say, I really am passionate about children and I want to do pro bono work for children according to the law. What was the driving force? Actually, for me, it was, uh, I got myself in this field by default. I just one day went to court and I found a very sensitive case. And after handling the case, I actually realized that this is something that totally moved me. I've gotten so many options along, but I still feel that this is the one place where my heart pours. And so I'm just happy to be in this field. It's very exciting. It's very fulfilling because you get direct contact with children who give you more growth prospective because they also grow. As, as you grow with them in their, in their cases, you also see the difference as they grow. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, Miss Mata, and you're so passionate about this work. That is something that anyone who meets you can never deny. And actually, Brett, this is the first time I'm also meeting Miss Mata in person. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know I thought you've met her before. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's very interesting how, you know, life brings people together. For anyone who does not know how Wakilisha works, one of our main pillars is we try to find advocates who are willing to represent children in conflict with the law pro bono. Yeah, so basically what Miss Mata does. So what happened is we had such a case in court and one of our advocates had taken it up and he had gone on record. But then when he went to appear in court, he found that actually there was another advocate in record. And, you know, the rest, as they say, is history. <laughs> so we found a way to work around that. And now we have a friend of Wakilisha who goes by the name Miss Mata. If you could take us through the right to legal representation. You know, there's probably someone who's listening who's not a law student, who, you know, or is not even a lawyer at all, or is a parent, is a child, and they are wondering, okay, so why, why do you find people to represent these children, you know, other than the need that is there? What is the right to legal representation and where does it come from? The right to legal representation is found in the Constitution, but what even makes it stem more, we have the right to a fair hearing. And most of the time, we notice that there are vulnerable groups of people who are not able to get that fair hearing because of the balance of where they stand. For instance, if you are to come to court and you are a lay person representing yourself, appearing against a another person who has an advocate, the scales are not balanced in that situation. And that is now where the right to legal representation stems from, because now it becomes important that we are able to balance these scales, especially for vulnerable people. So what happened in the Constitution? Once we had the Constitution of Ken the new Constitution, oh, it's old now, 2010, <laughs> yeah. we, the statutes came up and now it became almost a law that you we only get representation for people who are accused for charges like murder. I'm saying it in the most basic form so that we all understand. Yeah. But now we also realize that children are as just as vulnerable as an accused person facing murder charges. So we have a statute, the Children's Act, and it is now from there that it stemmed that we need to have representation for children so that also their best interest is protected as per Article 53 of the Constitution. Great. And yeah, I, I love that, you know, you said new constitution, then said it's not new. Yeah. Because I mean, I'm sure even with you, Liz, it's something, it's a struggle, you know, yeah. in, in law school, yeah? You kept yeah. saying the new constitution, you know, your law professor is like, 
this thing is a few years old. It's yeah, the constitution of Kenya. There's actually a BBI. Yeah. <laughs> so we have <laughs> exactly. <same now. laughs> yeah, but yeah, I'm sure it's a struggle for most of those students. Anyway, um, yeah, that, I mean that is amazing. That and I'm sure now most people understand why it's very important to have the you know legal representation. Take us through your typical day or your typical you know day to day as you know a child attorney, a child a pro bono child advocate. You know how how do you take up cases? How do you end up with the cases that you have? How is that? How is your routine for you? Because I mean, like at Wakilisha, I know, like uh, Liz already said, we have a legal representation arm, and you know we try to match um, children with advocates. And how we get the children is from you know the. YCTC committee, Youth Correctional uh, and Training Center, and the kids who are not, the children who are not represented are, you know, we're told this child doesn't have representation and we have some pro bono attorneys and we match them. How is it for you? Is it the same way or, you know, how is that? Okay, for me, basically, I get the children from court. It doesn't have a structure. Every new day comes with its own new challenges and a new form of operation. Sometimes I go to court, I have my diary, it's well planned out, but just when I get into court, I find a child who's totally unrepresented. Mm -hmm. And especially, I think it's important to say that sometimes we deal with children who are borderline adults, 16-year-olds, 17-year-olds, and 18-year-olds, thereabout. Yeah. So sometimes it may not be obvious to the magistrate handling the case, but being a juvenile justice practitioner, I'm able to tell this is a child. Yeah. And at that point, I, I'm just able to take up the the case. Other than that, we have the structured form where I go to court, then I'm called as a pro bono advocate and I'm able to take up the cases. But once with our practice, from time to time, we get people calling you randomly because they already know what you do. Yeah. So on a weekend, I'll find someone calling me and they're like, oh, my child is about to be lynched. My child has been arrested for this or this and this has happened. And they're just those random instances that keep coming up. But generally, Structurally, we go to we get clients from court. I, I think I like you know to some extent the you know aspect of there being you know that surprise yeah like you know I'm just waking up I'm going to court you know we'll see <laughs> I, I I these are my matters but yeah we'll see I might end up with you know more than just what I have on my plate and yeah when going through all this like what are some of the challenges? There are quite a number of challenges, especially when you're dealing with juvenile justice. There is the child psychology. And I think that is one of the challenges that we all face as practitioners because you need to be able to understand justice through the eyes of the child. Yeah. I had to use that. But there's a way that you have to perceive these things from the way that child is perceiving it. Also, the greatest, the other challenge is to be able to look at the background of it. So many cases we do, you realize that the heart of the case is something totally different. This child could have been brought for a, in for a murder, but the underlying condition is poverty. The underlying condition maybe is previous abuse. The underlying condition is totally something different. And that has always been the greatest challenge. Because again, when the child is brought in as an accused person, they are on their defense. And it becomes very difficult to be able to, to get out whatever the real issue is. The other main challenge is with time. The time span in which these cases are handled. Yeah. And that is a challenge for most of, of us as juvenile practitioners. Because there is a statute 
that provides that children cases should be handled within three months or six months. Mm. But you get that cases go on and on for even three years. Yeah. And like I said, most of the juveniles in the justice system are 16, 17, 18. And it could run until you notice this child has now become an adult and now it brings another quagmire in the law. But generally, it's a fun practice. You've mentioned child psychology, which is something we're also undertaking as Wakilisha. We're going through training on this. And I, I wonder, so once you take up a case with a child, how then do you handle it with a child? Because I would assume it's very different as opposed to where you get a client who is an adult. Because the child then becomes your client. It's not the parent. Do you meet them? Do you talk to them? What happens if they're in an institution? You know, how, the, how is the interaction between you and the child? On an ideal day, other than the restrictions that come with COVID, yeah. once we take up the case, I endeavor to ensure that I build a rapport with that child. Sometimes it is not even legal. I, it could just be random, like just going to sit down, down with them and vibe about something totally different. Because again, you notice, like I said, this child is on their defense. You have to crack the ice and you cannot crack the ice using the offense that brings them to court. Most of the time you'll have to do it in a totally different setup. Like I think last year, Christmas, we just went to KYCTC and we're just spending time with them. We're just like, Leo, all we care about today is that you, you're just here and we want to spend time with you for you to feel like somebody cares and somebody loves you. Once you're able to do that, you're able to crack the ice and now it helps you to be able to now understand the rationale. Why did you commit this offense? What is your justification? And even with this justification, how else do you think that you're, we are able to help you beyond the justice system? Because again, with the justice system, you realize it may be punitive and it doesn't necessarily mean that it gives justice to the offender or even the victim. So those are just some of the things that we, we normally try to to yeah. look at. Uh, when I started Wakilisha, I had gone on a data collection exercise. The thing actually that led me to start is because I realized most of these children do not understand anything about their case. Have you ever met a child who actually understands that they are facing criminal charges? What would you say is the general understanding of the children that you've seen in court one? And also when you take up the matter, how are you able to explain to this child that, you know, th this, this, is, this is what it means. The fact that you're in court, this is what it means. How do you get to take them through the case? Like, these are witness statements, or these are these, you know? How, how are you able to explain such things? It's true that most children actually in the justice system don't understand what is happening. They actually just keep being bugged up and down. Today you're going to court, tomorrow you're not going. Today you have a date, you don't have a date. But what I endeavor to do, I try as much as possible to go with them step by step. I can almost say I do a pre-trial before every mention and every hearing. I have to help them understand we are going to come to court next time for this and this and this. These are your options in law. This is what is likely to happen. This is the hearing. When I'm preparing for a hearing, I'll actually go with them and ask them, are there any questions you'd want to ask? And when they raise the questions, if I notice that the questions are not legal or sometimes the questions are self-incriminating, I'll now advise them from that point. But I ensure as much as possible to get their input because it is their case. This is, you know, quite heavy stuff that, you know, we're talking about. And, you know, and like you said, the dynamics could be different for each case. Um, it's, at the end of the day, it's children, you know, it's very vulnerable, you know, members of the society. How is your self-care, like, routine like? 
<laughs> okay. Our work needs a lot of self-care. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you had to ask and it is very important. We need a lot of self-care. And actually when I started, I just noticed you can build up a lot of catharsis mm. from what you handle from day to day. Yeah. But I'm a very prayerful person mm. and that is my first point of of call. Actually, like I say, there are those cases that on the surface they are uh, they don't look as bad as they as it seems. And so sometimes it erupts on you and you're like I need to to find something else that I can do beyond yeah. my strength. I also um, I go to the gym a lot. I know it doesn't look like it, but I, I gym. What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, I I gym. I I take long walks. I also talk to the children. I think also talking to them is kind of therapeutic for me because I get to understand why did they do this? What is it they want? Have they reformed? What do they feel about this process? And I think it's just a lot of talking. We also get the briefing sessions as practitioners where we just sit and talk about our frustrations and yeah, that's self care for me. I'll see you after this recording so you can recommend a gym. I need to start. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll recommend one. <laughs> Thank you. And, um, you know, now that we're talking about the fact that, you know, these are heavy matters, as a pro bono advocate, do you only represent children in conflict with the law or what kind of cases do you work with? I mainly do juvenile justice, mm -hmm. but I represent many other people. I represent vulnerable groups. I do pro bonos even for older people. And I also now just do general legal practice. Yeah. Okay, interesting. Now, I think we've, we've delved too much into the legal aspect of yeah. things. And I like to have fun. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> Ms. Mata, I want to know, and from Bright as well, what is the naughtiest thing that you did as a child? Did you get away with it? And were you pun or were you punished? As a child, I got away with transferring from schools because of screaming. I'm very scared of cats. And so once I don't like a school, I would scream. And then my mom would come and say, no, you know, she doesn't like cats. I'm taking her out of this school. So I ended up going to 11 schools, primary schools. What? Oh, yeah. my Wait, goodness. We, we have only eight years of primary yeah. school and there we went schools, through 11. Yeah, there are schools. I was there even for two weeks. Until oh, my I God. Yeah. So actually, I don't have any, many childhood friends, as you'd think, because oh. I didn't get to plug into most of the schools I went to. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Wow. And you I thought... went to just one school. <laughs> okay, I've, I've been through... I think I have been through three, and I thought I had transferred through a lot of oh, schools. Wow. <laughs> no, me, I had 11 schools. Wow, wow. I, I think I should say congratulations. Yeah. Also, even for managing to convince an African parent to transfer you through 11 schools. It was never an option for me. My mom was like, you know, that is where you, you stay in the class eight. You know, that is where, you know. Oh, you know, actually, um, the first time I, I did not like my high school because a lot of my friends had gone to another high school and I wanted to go to that school. So when I went to that school during midterm, I packed everything, my entire suitcase, including my pillow, everything. And I told my mom I don't want to go back. My mom was like, okay, good for you. She made me drag, she was not driving, she made me drag my entire suitcase. I wish I could tell you where the school was. <laughs> she made me drag my entire suitcase and after midterm, which is only a weekend, I came back with all my things. <laughs> African mom. And I was there until the end of Form 4. Oh, so, God. Congratulations. <laughs> wow, yeah. I mean, wow. Yeah, I, I, I don't even think I can imagine. I mean, primary school, I went to just one school. 
in high school, yeah, like two different ones. But yeah, if it was my mom's decision, 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 <laughs> like yeah, I would have gone to just one. <laughs> Or you'd have gone to Moi Primary, Moi High School, Moi <laughs> University. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What's the naughtiest thing you've done? This is a very tough. I I was a very, very, very good kid. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I mean you I, I feel like you'd have to ask my mother. I, I, I was a very I was a very good kid. I feel like all the naughty things I might have done, and I'm not at all proud of this, would involve me getting the house help in trouble because They weren't, you know, very, you know, they, 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 they weren't very me even, oh. and I wanted to be the villain's one. <laughs> so I feel like the, I'm not at all proud of this, but I feel like I have gotten a couple house helps in trouble, and they were let go because of things they didn't even do. It was my cheekiness, <laughs> but yeah, that, right that now you know. I hope you will. Your mom listen to this podcast. Of course, she will. <laughs> you have no idea when 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 we launched our website. She called me. She was like. Internet yangwa ifanyi na nataka kuona hii website yetu I'm sure she'll listen. <laughs> so mama bright all those houses you had to send packing you know why. <laughs> yeah, I'm not proud at all and yeah if I could meet them I would very I would really apologize for making them lose their jobs but yeah. <laughs> Yeah. No, you have to share yours. You're not getting no, away with I almost this. got away with it. Yeah, almost. But so no, in fact, I think we're running it. out of time. Anyway, <laughs> I was a naughty kid, but I was an only child. So I feel like I got away with a lot. <laughs> I think the worst thing, maybe not the worst, but out of memory at this time that really sent my mom over the board is I loved playing Chamama and Chababa. I, that was my best game. Yani I had like a whole room of things and I used to steal things from the kitchen. So anytime my mom bought sieves, uh, kichungia chai, she would buy mine, naya jerry. Moja niya chai, ingine niya matope. So one time, and used to tell ourselves that we are cooking. So we go get, um, I, I, I've also grown up in what I would call up country but not really but so we like had a garden so we'd go with chona skuma nini so tuna pika in quotes so one time we felt ah food yetu high blend vizuri so you know what we decided what i decided to go and get my mother's blender <laughs> so my mom is coming and she used to use it it was mine when i was a child so my reasoning was she kept telling me this blender was yours on your and it's not it was not even the electric one it was a very interesting one you used to use a handle mm. mkono very nice like, i don't think you can find it these days but my reasoning was it was my blender when i was a <laughs> child now that i don't eat blended food it's mine so i can play <laughs> with it um let's just say my mom was not buying it <laughs> Yeah, I think that's uh, clearly not as interesting as you guys. Yeah, you know, that, that, that's a joke. <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, I like the reasoning. I mean, if it was mine as a child. It's mine. It's, it's mine. mine as a yeah. child. Yeah. Yeah, and my babies who are my dolls should get to eat. <laughs> I feel like I don't even know how time has flown. We are probably running out of time. And um, the one thing that we have to ask all our guests who come on our podcast is, you know, what can whoever it is that's listening to this podcast do to make a change? 
you know, we, we are, you know, very intentional on this being very solutions oriented. So yeah, what is the one solution? What is the one thing that our listener could do to make a change in the system? Uh, implementation of policies. Mm -hmm. There are already good policies in place, but they're not being implemented. Mm -hmm. And so it's just as good as having a shell. Yeah. For instance, the time factor. I think it's important for a directive to be given for children matters to be strictly handled within the time span that has been spelled in the policy. Mm. I actually saw a directive the other day from Office of the Chief Justice, but I've, I've not seen much. I think, Bright, you were discussing it. Yeah, yeah, the one on every child should get representation and make sure that all cases are had within, Without, the, yeah, within yeah, the three to six the three months. To six months. But I don't know, I don't see much debate about it. So, I, I mean, I'm really hoping that it's something that's going to be implemented. Yeah, it, yeah. It's, it's difficult to implement because it's only a directive, but on the ground, things are not as yeah. the same yeah. as they are. Yeah. For instance, the busiest court is Makadara mm -hmm. and Kibra, where most of the juvenile cases yeah. are handled. Instead of the directive, the directive should actually be an independent children's court is created. Yeah. That would make more sense because now on the ground, it would mean that there's a magistrate who's daily handling children cases children. Yeah. and not necessarily children cases being mixed up with adult cases. Yeah, uh, and even also finding these advocates yeah. because at the moment, it's still being left to advocates like you who are willing to take up cases because, I mean, we have this directive, which is great, but then, you know, where are the advocates who are going to come up to take these matters coming from? And just while we're on that, again, as a solution, what would you tell an advocate who's listening to you, is in practice, whether in their own practice or at a law firm, that wants to take up these matters and maybe does not know how to go about it or does not, is not even sure about this decision? What would you say to such an advocate? The easiest way to plug in is to show up. Just go to court and inquire and you'd be able to be guided on what you need to do but it's as simple as just coming with your practicing certificate just to prove you're a practicing advocate mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. i can tell you for free there are many more matters than all of us can ever handle yeah yeah that's true if you're an advocate listening to us or a law firm and you want to offer your pro bono services or some sort of csr you can also reach out to us Mm -hmm. You know, you can email us, you can find our contacts on our website, that's www.wakilisha.org, and we'll get in touch. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, of course, I use every opportunity to shout about our website. Yeah, you can, on, the, yeah, on our website, the contact Wait, 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 us. we're being very bad guests, we're being very bad hosts, sorry. We've not said thank you to Miss Mata, right? No, I, I wasn't, I wasn't going to let her leave without oh, thanking okay, I'm sorry, her. I, jumped the gun. I, I definitely wasn't, yeah, I'm going to leave without, you know, I just needed to stress on the, yeah, on the advocates, on the advocates' part. But yeah, um, yeah, get on our website, contact us. There's a part specifically for advocates. Fill in your details and we'll get in touch. Mm -hmm. But yeah, of course, thank you so much, so, so much, Ms. Mata, for your time, for all the great work that you do, for your you know, collaboration and support for Akilisha so far. And yeah, we're very excited to have had you um, on our... Actually, fun fact, you are our first guest the podcast. The yeah. podcast. Yeah. yeah, that's nice. Yeah, so I'm also so happy much. to be here. I've had a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, we're very happy to have had you. Um, and we look forward to today. reading your book. Yes, of course, sure. I'll stop procrastinating. <laughs> <laughs> 2021 resolutions is about the time. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I 
I, I don't want to say how many times I've made that resolution, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, so thank you and thank you everyone for listening. Follow us on our social media. Do subscribe to this podcast. Give us great ratings and reviews. And uh, see you on episode four. See you guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.